0: I'm Pete McCall, and welcome to episode 82 of All About Fitness. Have you ever found yourself, whether you're at work or play, doing your favorite activity, have you ever noticed that time seemed to just stand still? That you got so focused on what you were doing that you didn't pay attention to anything else around you. You're literally shutting everything else out to focus on the here and the now. Well, that's one of the descriptors of the flow state. My guest today on All About Fitness is Jamie Wheel, the executive director of the Flow Genome Project. A few episodes ago, I interviewed Dr. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, the professor and researcher who originally identified the flow state and described what it means and how it can enhance human performance. Well, my guest today, Jamie Wheel, has been a part of the Flow Genome Project to really hack into understanding the flow state. His specialty is understanding how we can use different variables to achieve a flow state so we can become more productive at work and at life. On this episode of All About Fitness, Jamie and I discuss what the flow state is, and he goes into detail on how you can do various things or take various steps to achieve more flow in your life. So after a brief word from the sponsors of All About Fitness, it's an honor to sit down and have a discussion with Jamie Wheel, the Executive Director of the Flow Genome Project. What is part bench? part balance trainer, part stability ball, part jump box, and all results. The TerraCore by Vicor Fitness. Specially designed to help enhance balance, strength, agility, and metabolic conditioning, the TerraCore is quickly becoming the go-to piece of workout equipment used by fitness professionals around the world. Whether you're training to earn that eight-figure contract or just trying to get in better shape, The TerraCore will help you achieve results you never thought possible. TerraCore by Vicor Fitness, the shape of things to come. Go to www.vicorefitness.com and use code AAF, that's all about fitness, AAF, to save 20% on the purchase of a TerraCore. I'm Pete McCall with All About Fitness. I'm here today with Jamie Wheel from the Flow Genome Project. Jamie, can you give us a little bit of a background in in what the Flow Genome Project is?
1: Sure. So I am the co-founder, along with my partner Stephen Kotler, of the Flow Genome Project, which is a global organization dedicated to advancing the both uh, science and training for peak performance states. And most recently this year, we also just co-wrote the book "Stealing Fire," which is basically a big exploration of how. Or changing state of consciousness is happening across peak performers throughout the world from naval special operations all the way to Silicon Valley and Wall Street.
0: Well, can you give us a brief description of what the flow state is and kind of how, how it's quantified?
1: Sure. What I have is quantified part is the million dollar question. Um, but the what a flow state is is it's fundamentally kind of an optimized state of consciousness. And you can you can slice and dice in a million ways. Uh, one way I like to think of it, just because it's very practical, is it's a state where two things happen. One is you are in a state of extreme situational awareness, meaning that you are paying attention to and therefore able to act upon much more of the data feed that is going on around us at all times. And then the other part is kind of hyper-ergonomic, meaning that the alignment between my intentions and my actions is very smooth and very fluid. So basically there's kind of almost a collapse and a, and a fusing of what I think I should do in this moment, because I'm paying more attention to all the data, what I actually end up doing. So that's the surfer linking trends effortlessly, that's a martial artist knowing exactly where to duck or move. It might even be a computer programmer coding in and around problems just because they're sort of feeling or perceiving it in that kind of in-the-zone sort of moment. Well, and, and what I was
0: surprised about in Stealing Fire is that, you know, you, you really mentioned the size of the, of, of the flow economy. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, what exactly is the flow economy, and, and how big is it?
1: Sure. That was one of the biggest surprises uh, in doing the research for the book. I mean, we actually ended up <laughs> – I just literally did not believe the numbers and made us go back to it three or four different times to add it all up again because I just uh, – it's like there's just no way. But but fundamentally, what we just, what we called it was the altered states economy, and we meant that by saying any behavior or activity, product or service that people – purchase and consume primarily for the reason of experiencing some form of selflessness, some form of escape from waking state self-aware inner critic consciousness, which has a whole host of neurobiological markers ranging from what parts of your brain are turning on and off to what's your kind of endocrine or hormonal profile, what kind of uh, neuroelectric state your brain is in or your heart rate, et cetera. So we just basically said, hey, if something shifts you out of that state meaningfully into someplace more quiet, relaxing, pleasurable, we can kind of include it in our survey of the autistic economy. And we added up all the numbers. And this was from Licit and illicit substances and drugs, to so prescription pharmaceuticals, to street drugs, to digital and immersive distracting entertainment, to a whole, you know, to gambling, to all these kind of things. The number was $4 trillion. And $4 trillion, because most of us can't wrap our heads around numbers that big, to put it in perspective, 15 years of a dual front war in Iraq and Afghanistan cost the United States $5 trillion. And we spend $4 trillion every year just trying to get out of our own heads. So it's a pretty big number. That's, that's a pretty, yeah, that is.
0: I mean, that's why it was such an amazing thing to see. And, and what are, you mentioned like naval special operators, but you also hit upon gambling, you hit upon illicit drugs. What are some of the different components of the altered states economy?
1: Well, I mean, let's think. So, listen and listed pharmaceuticals, list which we just discussed, um, all forms of digital entertainment, but we, we kind of really shrunk things. So, if there was a question as to, hey, there might be other motives or drivers for a given category, we just skipped it because we had more than enough to chew on <laughs> just with the straight down the pipe. But we looked at uh, EDM or electronic dance music, which is very much, you know, there's not a band, there's not lyrics, there's none of the stuff that would draw people socially. To go and see live music. It's just these big-ass, you know, sound stacks with, a, you know, a guy in a hoodie and a laptop. Um, so that is now responsible for over 50% of all concert sales. We live on wow. social media distraction, and we even just, we just whittle that way down, even though, you know, especially in the last few months, more and more people from inside Silicon Valley, a lot of former employees and executives from Facebook and other places are kind of coming out and sort of copying to the fact of, oh, yeah, we knew what we were doing. We were hacking dopamine reward loops, and that's what every and that's Tristan Harris and, and Justin Rosenstein and, and a host of others. Uh, Sean Parker, one of the original uh, founders and board members of Facebook, and they're all saying you know, like we knew what we were doing, you know, and that's everything from the delayed little you know changing your notification button from from green to red, because red attracts attention more, waiting a split second before showing you how many messages you have as your app loads to actually create uncertainty and then reward. You know, everything from the thumbs up and like buttons to the social sharing, all these things, to algorithmic um, propagation of outrage, which has also clearly fractured the Western world politics in the last couple of years. All of these things were engineered uh into the social media platforms. And in fact, Molly Crockett, who we mentioned in Ceiling Fire, was at Oxford. I think she's just moved to Yale now. Uh but she did a fascinating presentation at the World Economic Forum earlier this year and was also discussing fun yeah fundamentally basically dopamine serotonin and the politics of outrage, uh particularly as they're scanned through social media. So that's that's a whole category. Online pornography is a whole category. IMAX and immersive media is a category. action sports where you're not playing for points. You're not in a league or a team. You do it because of the sensation and the feeling that it gives you, um, as we talked about with gambling, the complete cultivation of those environments where, you know, you, you lose all track of time. There's no windows for daylight. There's no clocks on the wall. You get free drinks. You get, you know, then there's sex, sexily dressed hostesses and all these kind of things. Like there's an entire surrounds to the magic of maybe. As, uh, Robert Sapolsky at Stanford calls it, which is when we're not sure something good is going to happen and then something good happens. And that could be just a message from a friend socially on on social media, or it could be winning a jackpot or pulling, you know, pulling the one-armed bandit at a slot machine. When it pays off, we get 400% the dopamine reward. So yeah, basically we have handcuffed ourselves to a lot of unintentional ways to get out of our heads. And these result in addictions, compulsions, distractions. And there are also, there's a subset of kind of healthy, productive, positive ways to get out of our heads. And that's what we spend most of the book actually focusing on is the people who are leading, leading the charge in that realm of like performance optimization.
0: Well, and that's, well, that's what I got out of it. And listening, you, you speak about all these components of it, Jamie, it seems like flow is a pursuit of pleasure that whether it's from drugs or gambling or whatever, It's pursuit of pleasure. But I think the way that you're talking about it being applied, whether it's in a special operations team or at work, is people who drive pleasure from their work. Is that really what you're trying to get to is like how can we tap into our genome so we can pursue the things that we get the most pleasure from and apply in a productive way?
1: Yeah, I mean, we may, you know, in order to be helpful to your listeners, it might, it might be useful just to kind of get super technical, uh, or at least relatively technical long term. So I wouldn't say that flow is the pursuit of pleasure, but I would say that the pursuit of flow can often be, be experienced as pleasurable or at the very least satisfying. So it's, it's less that you are cultivating simply short term. Feel goods. And it's more that you, you know, one of the core qualities of flow is that it has its own meaning. It's kind of self propelling. And and paradoxically, flow tends not to come from sitting on your couch, binge watching Netflix, and eating caramel popcorn, right, which could be short, pleasurable. Um, It actually typically comes when we are pushing ourselves beyond our immediate known limits, um, stretching but not snapping. And actually, experiencing a moment of level up and greater competency, greater mastery, greater focus and attention on the task at hand, and it's that I'm doing something hard, and everything clicks into place, and now I feel highly capable. That's the that's the kind of pleasure, for, you know, that we're talking about versus just kind of immediate gratification.
0: Well, and that's a, no, I I, I appreciate you're doing that because that's a very very important um a very important uh, kind of way to discern it. Because I do think that, because a lot of the time, a lot of the examples you use are extreme athletes. And when I think of an extreme athlete, like a surfer or a motorcyclist, I think of somebody who gets pleasure from that activity. And so is that really, you know, in order to, to achieve a flow state, do we have to be doing something that, that we are really, that we enjoy? It that have to be something that, that challenges us?
1: Well, no, I mean, and to be clear, like, uh, you know, when we talk about a lot of those extreme athletes, A, that's just a subset. Uh, there are this all kinds of creative artists, movement, music, uh, any kind of contemplative practice. I mean, 48% of the folks that we've surveyed, and I think we're now approaching 100,000 folks that have taken out Flow Profile, uh, which is free and online if you want to check it out at, at Flow Genome Project on our website. But out of 100,000 people, close to 50,000 people uh, have tested as deep thinkers, which means these are the folks that are playing Minecraft or coding computers or, you know, know, collecting things on a Pinterest board or doing something, you know, in the world like gardening or or bird watching or something where they are not aggro, not adrenaline junkies, as this expression goes. um, And they're actually more kind of inward and solitary contemplative. So, there's that side of it. And then to your point about, you know, is it just the action sports really enjoy what they're doing? The interesting thing is that, you know, many of those athletes, whether it's surfers or mountaineers or skiers or any of these kind of things, um, actually experience uh, all kinds of suffering. You know, there's, there was a great bumper sticker I remember seeing from the Seattle Mountaineers, which is one of the older mountaineering clubs in North America. And it says, your worst nightmare. Is my vacation. <laughs> and and that sense of, you know, like surfers getting into cold wetsuit, going into like foggy, sharky water off the coast of California, busting ass up a big mountain where your lungs are searing and, you know, every fiber in your body is exhausted. You know, all of these things, downhill mountain bikers breaking bones, you know, every season. Like there's actually a lot of suffering that can go into those moments. And I think it actually speaks to, how persuasive and powerful they are that people just keep coming back.
0: And, and why does that make us, I mean, you're looking at this from a, a point of trying to be more productive in, in life. How does it apply to work? Why are so many businesses? Because your work references McKinsey, which is one of the, the largest, you know, most well-respected consulting groups. Why is this work so important to business productivity if, if achieving a flow state is something that can be extremely challenging?
1: On one well, level, simply because, because yeah, I mean, I think it's basically because life is pretty challenging, and so understanding how to be at our most focused and our most resourceful and our most creative in the situations that matter most, and for many of us, our profession, our careers and professions matter most. Um, but that's essential, and when you when you juxtapose the need to be actually on the top of our game with, against all the negative sides of the multi-state economy, all the distractions, addictions, diversions. You realize that, you know, in the work in place, I think the most recent study I've seen is that basically if you're an employer and you're paying top dollar for your you know quote unquote A players, you're getting less than three hours of actual work out of them a day. And the rest is milling around, socializing, getting up, getting down, going to and from meetings, surfing the web, sometimes even looking for other jobs. I mean, the, the numbers are terrible. So you're paying for eight and you're getting three, less than three. And on top of that, you know, most of the, <laughs> most of the challenges, challenges and opportunities, aka where there's high margin and real potential profitability and growth for a company come from solving hard problems no one else has solved yet, better, faster, and cheaper. And most of those require people. So, you know, in a nutshell, knowledge workers are no longer getting the phone. Most of those jobs have been automated, and Google now offers them for free. And whether that's executive assistance and calendaring or whether that's planning trips and travel or whether it's accounting and finance, basically, you know, the, the increased automation of knowledge work is pervasive. And so what that leaves us with instead is if you're still in the knowledge work economy, um, your job is to solve really complex, wicked problems that don't succumb to simple binary solutions and flow states. Um a lot of the research shows that they significantly boost creativity and they significantly boost collaboration. So a company like McKinsey is right to be focusing on, well, here's our human capital. That's already a sunk cost. How do we actually unlock human potential to um, you know to keep pace or exceed the price tag?
0: And, and does that explain why there's been such a link the last few years between the Silicon Valley area and, um, you know, in Burning Man? And not just a geographic link because it's a few hundred miles east, but just because, you know, going to Burning Man is one way to, is a different way to hacking the flow. You know, because that's why I thought one of the interesting insights in Sealing Fire was the connection between the Silicon Valley community and the Burning Man experience.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, gosh, that, that's that's an interesting one. I'm actually about to write a foreword for a new uh sort of coffee table uh photography book about that Event. So I've just been kinda of thinking even like this morning about okay, what is it that I'd like to say about this sort of unique and fairly quirky event? So for starters, I mean, the culture of Silicon Valley is inseparable. From the culture of Burning Man, it's not like they just decided to take a field trip to that thing and said, oh, wow, Um, they have co-evolved over the last few decades. And prior to that, um, Silicon Valley emerged out of the countercultural 60s and psychedelic culture. And so Mm -hmm. there has forever been this relationship between West Coast tech uh and, and emergent thinking and thinking at scale. I mean all the cliches, thinking at scale, thinking disruptively, blah, blah, blah. Um, with basically getting out of routine patterns of ideation and preconception and just taking quantum loops in a in a tangential direction, saying, Well, what about that? And you know, that's how Elon Musk has done his level of damage to kind of reinvent five industries from scratch. He says, Okay, let's scrap all preconceptions and let's start with physics. And those kinds of, that kind of mentality, um, very much is, is, is sort of boosted and even modeled and showcased in a place like Burning Man where you have these ridiculous giant art installations out in the middle of a pool table flat white desert that effectively serves like nature's gallery and there's no social reference points and they mash up mythic things like Anubis, you know, an Egyptian god, you know, as a a 40-foot-high coyote or something, or pop culture and references to NASA or the Flintstones or something crazy and futuristic, And, and it literally, like, the art is all basically interactive and psychoactive and is designed to basically create a pattern interrupt around all preconceptions. Combine that with light, music, psychedelic substances, costumes, you know, like basically avatar-based names. I mean, people, depending on how far into it they choose to go, you can even, you know, you literally leave your your entire identity at the door and show up as a participant in some kind of interactive archetypal theater, which stretched over a week can do an awful lot to knock down the boundaries of your preconceptions. They're like, this is the app we're building back in the office.
0: So in, in, in understanding that, and I think I'll come back to them in a second because I think that's such a, a very unique and in-depth description of, of the Burning Man experience, Jamie, and I've never experienced it, but I, I have a couple friends who go regularly and consider themselves pretty consistent burners. But I want to come back to this idea of flow because in essence, and we haven't really discussed this, in essence, getting into flow is getting out of self. Is that one way to look at it? Or getting, if I'm in a flow state... I'm not focused on what I'm doing as a physical being. I'm more focused on whether I'm in a group activity
1: or I'm just focused on the now. Is that one way of looking at it? Yeah, I think you just teed on two things. One is uh, we, we use the acronym STIR to not just describe the qualities of flow, but the qualities of all high-performing, non-ordinary states. So it stands for selflessness. So you really do lose that self-awareness. You get absorbed in it. You don't have the self-judgment or second-guessing. Timelessness, you're not You're not thinking about the past or the future. You're completely focused on the moment at hand. And then the effortlessness, which is just the, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing, and this experience seems to be kind of leading me versus me trying to control or drive it. And then the final bit, and this kind of loops back to uh, your sort of implications to the business world, which is richness. Um, Typically, we do it sort of feels like we go from dial-up to fiber-optic, and, and it's high bandwidth information. And, and often that will end up being insights, ideas, connections, you know, information becoming inspiration. Um, and quite often that actually shows up in practical and pragmatic ways.
0: And just and one thing I like about this concept of flow, especially in some of your descriptions of how the military is using it, because I've found and, and I shared with you before we started that, that, that I played rugby. And I've found that oftentimes when we're a team, and we had the saying in the one club I played with, that we would rather lose by five than win by 50, meaning that when we were challenged, when we had a greater physical challenge, everybody worked together. It, it just happened. You know, that's why when reading this, was so, it was so resonating. Is that, is that what you've noticed? Is, is that team building or that team philosophy, is that kind of a very important? How does flow work with team, I guess would be the question.
1: Well, I mean the short hunters incredibly well. You know, and so like that's why that's why people run away and join the circus for the rock and roll band. I mean, that <laughs> notion of like there is a thing that we can do together that none of us are are hundred percent responsible for alone, and then that extra thing happens, um is is, you know, it's like crack. And uh Keith Sawyer at University of North Carolina has actually confirmed that. Basically, if you're in a flow state by yourself, you kind of get 100 points of flow. If you're in flow state in what you would call sort of parallel play with someone, meaning we're both surfing or we're both kind of just standing in a crowd dancing to a, dancing at a concert, or you know we're both sitting beside each other, computer coding, then you get 200 points because it's that much more fun to share. But if you're doing it in a way that is Dynamic and intersubjective, meaning we're on a basketball team or we're in a jazz band, like what you do is interdependent on what I do and vice versa, then it's 300% as pleasurable and rewarding. So arguably, you know, and, and, and I think most, most folks, particularly like, you know, really talented knowledge workers, if they can have the no work pass with the home Globetrotters or, you know, or, 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 or the clip, you know, or the, uh, the, the Golden State Warriors or something like, that's everybody's preference. But if they're going to be hanging out with a bunch of asshats and it's super clumsy and awkward and they're not getting to that place, they'll choose isolation. They'll be like, I know I can get to my happy place solo. Let me just go shut the door. I'm always open to potentially jamming with others, but that's like a highest, best, not always, doesn't always happen outcome. It's the middle band where you have micromanagers and you have death by committee or meeting and, you know, and PowerPoints and all of that kind of stuff. But most people who are savvy about their, their working plus they will avoid like the plague. Well, man, I'm just laughing because you you, per, you
0: in two or three different ways, you described why I left my last full-time job. <laughs> One, I was only working two or three hours a day, but I had to be in the office eight hours. Two, they took away the creativity mm-hmm. and made it very uh, a very um, hierarchical management structure, which was much different than when I started in there. So I really, I, I think that's, uh, you, you know, without even realizing you kind of hit the nail on the head about, why I appreciate you know being this in this independent roles consultant now I want to come back to the flow genome because I pulled up my profile I did the um flow profile maybe about six or eight weeks ago, and i was I was described as a hard charger. What are the different types mm-hmm. of flow profiles, and how do you use that in the flow genome project
1: mm-hmm. yeah and and also just you know just to pause before we jump into it um. That is always just the first most superficial case. And if you took it two or three more times, you might end up tipping the balance into one other area. So, at least. And, and so, our general advice is hey, you may lead with a certain one. You may, you may show up that way at work, but at home or on the weekends, you come up, you might test with a different profile. You might have shown up in college or in your 20s in a certain way, and as you've matured or changed or or whatever, your flow profile might shift. So it is purely a lens to put over your life, but that's it. Um, We typically this kind of maps more or less to the DISC profile for anybody that's into diagnostics. Um, We don't hold these out as being um, the last word or even really the first word. These are just kind of beginning uh, fun ways to get to know yourself, but that's it. Um, there's the hard charger, which would be the classic kind of Red Bull and X Games kind of person, the person who seeks intensity. This could also be a CrossFitter, a tough mother, Spartan racer, those can be the folks that fundamentally seek physical intensity, immediacy, and consequence to silence their mind. Uh, and And I'm certainly certainly guilty of that particular hack uh the opposite of that you know would be quite often the deep thinker that's the person who goes deeply into creative or reflective work often but not always alone uh, and they really love that as their kind of sanctuary and then the other two would be kind of the crowd pleaser, so that's the classic kind of conference junkie, potentially Greek life or social teams or, or you know, high school president kind of folks that love to rally and mobilize and get a huge hit out of, out of communitas, or kind of the group flow experience. And then finally, they, what we would call kind of the flow goer, which would be the, you know, the, the low hops, um, you know, lifestyles of health and sustainability, the kind from mindfulness, meditation, Lumen, Whole Foods, Subaru kind of branding. All of these can descend into cliches, but just to give people a sense of people who are seeking flow through very kind of flowy-like things. And those are generally, you know, the softer martial arts like Tai Chi or Qigong, the, the yogas, the contemplation, and those kind of things. So that's kind of the broad uh, spectrum of the four initial ways in
0: well, and that's interesting. And, and you have on your on your website you have Flow Fundamentals. What what is the Flow Fundamentals program, and how do, how do people get involved in that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, we, actually, we just did a complete end to end reshoot of that entire program, and we are uh, launching our new one in January. So, pretty excited about it. And it's fundamentally uh, this began as a research project with Google, where we took about fifty of their top um, engineers, salespeople, and executives, and ran them through a six-week peak performance program. And it began with everything from here is sleep hygiene and attention management and nutrition, just the kind of basics, foundational stuff, all the way to here are ways to explore and experiment with different flow triggers in life and work. Um, and here are different models and tools and theories that you can deploy so that you can steer and navigate through your life a little better. And over the years, this is now our 3.0 release. We basically just continue to look for, A, user feedback, so how did it land you? what was useful, what wasn't, but also really just looking for the breakdown and and making and keeping habits and practices. So that's why it's it's all app-based. We use heart rate variability. We're even just launching for this new version a uh, true flow genome. So we're going to be doing 16 genetic tests um, on the, the, the DNA markers that most correlate, with flow states, so we can lay that over the flow profile as well. So it's really, you know, for an hour a day of investment, which is 4% of our days, um, and the returns have been between 75 and 85% increased inflow for, for users. So we're, we're, we're super excited about that, and that is fundamentally, literally, the, the entry point uh, to being able to train more seriously in some of our more in-depth live programs and the trips.
0: Well, no, and I've been, I've been considering doing it and uh, it wasn't a reason why I contacted you for the podcast, but I wanted to definitely think that's an intriguing thing because since reading, um, you know, reading your books, uh, specifically stealing fire, I've been doing a lot more mountain biking and have been using that to kind of in the morning to help get into, to kind of get into that. I've been working on a couple of writing projects. How can, how can people use exercise? And what type of exercise should people do if they want to kind of push themselves or kind of guide? And, and I know it's individual with the different types, but what kind of exercise would kind of lead somebody towards, you know, achieving or working towards a flow state?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's a great question. I mean, I'm fundamentally, whatever works for you. Like right? the best exercise, the best any of these things are the ones you keep doing. So, so you know, first of all, let's just start with that. Um, the next level is um, There is, I mean, exercise, there's actually a technical term, which is exercise-induced transient hyperfrontality, which just means that when we move our bodies for sustained periods, you actually do have that prefrontal cortex, um, that that sort of frontal part of our brain, the most recent complicated part, the part that usually contains our inner narrative, self-awareness, that will often shut off. And for anybody that a runner and then anybody that's a biker, anybody you know, anybody that's into your workout already, you probably know exactly that. It's probably what gets you, off, you know, off the couch most days to do it. So, there are three typical ways that movement can result in uh, getting us close to, if not into, a full fledged flow state, and that's basically intensity, duration, and repetition. And the more of those you can combine, the better, um, but not, you know, typically if, you're, if you've got two out of those three, you're probably, you know, you're, you're probably on the side. So intensity can be something like, hey, I'm about to ski a no-fall line on my skis or I'm about to jump something on a bicycle or drop into a big wave. There's 100% focus, immediate consequences, that's what's doing, right? I mean, it's going to hurt if I'm not, if I don't nail this. Then there's duration, which would be more like distance running, road biking, those kind of things where it may not be like flipping a light switch, but after an hour, after two hours, after 10 hours, if you're into ultra endurance kind of stuff, I'm in a very non-ordinary state and quite often um, it's I'm clearly not, not rehashing my taxes or the conversations with my boss from last week. So we just kind of basically just grind it out of ourselves. And then the other is sort of repetition, and repetition can come from things that we wouldn't even consider, you know, athletics or, or quote-unquote working out. It could be gardening, right? It could be the repeat, the repetitive act of, like, sticking in the trowel, taking out a scoop, putting in a seed. It could be throwing pots, like, on, on a potter's wheel. It could be weaving. It could be anything. It could even involve, you know, online activities if you were really kind of getting into it. But, like, fundamentally, like, fine motor, eye tracking, repetition, those kinds of things. And that, too, can get you into a non-ordinary or slow state. And and, and, the, and the traditional parallels, if you think about, like, Tibetan pujas, you know, like, they would do the whole or prostrations, right? So they would get up, they would kneel, they would do a series of kind of kneeling and extending and then coming back, get up, take step, do the same thing. People would do this, you know, they'd literally have like tires on their knees and hands, wear gloves, because they were repeating it like, literally like a million times. They'd go around an entire mountain that way or make a pilgrimage to a holy site. Or Catholic um, peasants in Europe or Mexico who they would repeat Hail Mary's full of grace, they'd go around their rosary. And there'd be a repetition of language. There'd be a get up, kneel down, sit, stand, all these kind of constant loops of motion. And those two can do So fundamentally, movement of any kind, whether or not it includes spandex, and, you know, and, and high-tech equipment, and the idea of intensity, so it's immediate consequence, driving our focus into the present, and typically gravity also shows up in those kind of situations. Um, duration, just just doing whatever you're doing for a really long time until everything else is fatigued and gives way, uh, or repetition, a way to kind of almost auto-hypnotize ourselves into a non-renuous state. Well,
0: I, if you could see me right now, Jamie, and we're, we're speaking via phone, not via Skype, you would see a big, big smile on my face because it's amazing how parallel what you're saying right now about using exercise to achieve flow. You don't realize this, but the last three or four podcasts I've been posting have been from top exercise scientists talking about intensity, talking about duration. You know, Andy Galpin at Cal State Fullerton, you know, works a lot with metabolic conditioning and high-intensity training to develop muscle work capacity. Again, not appearance, but performance. Um, Marty Gabala out of Canada, out of, Mc, out of uh, McMaster University in Canada, has been researching high-intensity interval training, not for performance, but for health, for working with the sedentary and obese people. So and in, in a and somebody interviewed a while ago, um, Carlos Santana, Juan Carlos Santana, trains a lot of MMA fighters, and he talks about the meditative state that some M- MMA fighters get into when they're prepping because he pushes them really hard. He wants to train them how to kind of get out of body so they can sustain the, the, the uncomfortableness and pain that happens during an MMA match. So this is really – I mean, that's why I find this so fascinating because flow, in my opinion, is where we're going in exercise and fitness. Is that why that you, you're creating the flow dojo? And what is and what is the flow dojo experience?
1: How could people kind of tap into that? Yeah, well I mean, you know, A, gratifying to hear that that's resonant because that just those three categories were literally off the top of my head based on our own experience. I'm like, "Hmm, how is it that people do that in their bodies?" So, uh, yeah, so it's so just not nice to hear that, that land. Um as far as what are we trying to do in the flow dojo, which is literally kind of our custom designed um effort to basically create like a combination of sort of surf to Soleil meets X Games meets Burning Man. So imagine uh, everything that can suspend the consequences of gravity. So cool tools tool and toys So everything from surf swings to looping swings to gyroscopes to mats and pads, bolsters, foam pits and bungees and harnesses and you name it, including straight up MMA center mats where people can do after yoga, you can do a keto or a capoeira, they you practice ground with grappling, balance boards, slack lines, all of this stuff with kick-ass sound systems. In fact, I was just on the phone with the world's leading sound producers, uh, this morning, uh, to be putting in, uh, to be designing our acoustic system because sound is a huge, huge part of all this. Um, as well as a message media and, and smart tech. So like what's your heart rate variability, what's your brain waves in these states and how do we go from effectively the power now kind of accountole and the mindfulness movement of like can I can I get to my happy place sitting quietly, you know, with some incense and Enya playing to a power of next, which is like, hey, it's one thing to be in your happy place in your happy place. That's relatively straightforward. Um the hard thing is to actually stay centered stay focused when it's all going to hell around you, and and in fact, we'd want to be actually triggered into our fight-flight responses, Um, and that's true in the workplace, that's true in, obviously, academics, it's true in the martial space, it's true, you know, pretty much through life, is that anybody that's in a position of leadership or responsibility or impact, the conditions are never perfect, and so how do we deliberately destabilize ourselves in our training? In fact, there was uh, one of our mentors always said, you know, in order to in order to, um, you know, basically, what he, he said, in order to, you know, to practice or in order to master stability, you have to train with instability. And, and so that's kind of what we do in the dojos. And we are, doing, we are opening a permanent version uh, next summer in Vancouver, where we also do uh, week-long flow camps in the mountains of Utah uh, with our dojo there as well. So that's, that's, that's some of the fun, uh, real-life places to come check it out.
0: Well, it's funny you say that because for years, those of us in fitness that, that are the more enlightened fitness professionals, we really have been trying to drive our drive our clients and drive the people we work with to work on their weaknesses, you know, because working on your strengths isn't where, I mean, yeah, okay, they're your strengths, but, you know, we need to work on stability. We need to work on balance. We need to work on movement control, which a lot of people lack. And from reading, you know, from what I, little I understand about flow that training people how to do the stuff that makes them uncomfortable is one way to get into kind of one way to kind of achieve that flow state. Is that, is that just kind of a a rough way to look at it
1: or one way to look at it? Yeah. I mean, there's so many things, right? I mean, the biggest thing that we would say on that frame is just to say, Hey, we, we are huge advocate of embodied cognition, which is just once again, separating fitness out of the kind of ghetto of cosmetics and aesthetics you know, like just how do I look? Um and into into more like athletics and kinesthetics. What can I actually do? and not even what can I do in the sense of I can put up 185 pounds or I can do this many squats or reps or that kind of thing, which is just kind of arbitrary, but what can I do as a human being? And so when we reconceive that, hey, how we move our bodies and brains directly affects and informs our minds and hearts, that's why we're doing it. We're doing it, and, and you then go take a step further, and you're like, okay, we are only as conscious of our movement patterns. So if I'm just putting up plates, or if I'm just working out on a universal machine, and everything is linear, and everything is controlled, and everything is, is, you know, fundamentally symmetrical to a fault, and I'm not working with any dynamic instability, I'm not working with rotation or multiple planes of motion, I'm not connecting breath with output, I'm not doing any of that kind of stuff, then I am only so intelligent from an embodied cognitive point of view, which is good news, bad news. Bad news is, that's the norm, good news is tons of upside as soon as we realize, oh, What does it mean to really focus on respiration? What does it mean to really focus on eye-hand coordination, eye-foot coordination, visual acuity, spinal mobility, uh, proprioception, where my limbs are in space, um, polyaxial intelligence, meaning can I roll, can I do handstands, can I be upside down, can I be in multiple planes without losing my bearings? So our sense is to take it from, uh, you know, cosmetic fitness to functional fitness and functional, you know, well beyond, like, what TRX is talking about, functional in the sense of, like, actual embodied human beings doing stuff, and can we train those capabilities and capacities, too?
0: Well, and that's, that's so refreshing to hear you say that, Jamie. I'm going to send you uh, a couple of videos with some of my colleagues are doing up in the L.A. area, and they've been doing it for a few years, and they've been calling it movement flow. I don't know if you've been um, introduced to the guys at, at Genesis at Project Genesis. But what Steve, uh, what um, what Trevor and uh, yeah, Steve have been doing is they've been doing movement flows with weights that I think you'll find very intriguing because it goes right into, right into what you're talking about. It's kind of where, like I said, enlightened trainers have been moving in this direction. So that's why it's so fascinating to see what you're working on the flow genome because there's so many parallels that we haven't even tapped into. Well, we're winding down here, and I just want to. Where can people find out more information about your project? And, and just if you could repeat the books that you guys have written because I'm going to link down to your books in the show notes for the podcast.
1: Sure. So Stealing Fire is our most recent one. And then my partner, Steven, also wrote an interesting one, particularly if you're interested in action sports called The Rise of Superman, which you'll almost sort of see as a prequel to this book. And then if you want to check out our research, check out any of our courses, programs, tons of free videos and articles and everything else is on flowgenomeproject.com. And I'll have a link that down in the show notes. Well, Jamie,
0: I really appreciate your time today.
1: It's been a pleasure
0: talking to you. And this is just absolutely fascinating. And, and you don't even realize how many parallels that you've hit with probably maybe a dozen or 15 or so of my past guests. They're coming up from a purely physiological standpoint. And there's some understanding of the cognitive awareness, but you guys are going just exponentially deeper into the cognitive. So I appreciate what you're doing
1: and what you guys are how you guys are going to change the way we do fitness. Awesome, well, thanks very much for having
0: me. That was an absolutely fascinating conversation. As I do more of these podcasts, I'm trying to reach outside of fitness and exercise to, to talk to people whose work is going to impact how our body responds to exercise. And what really, what's really intriguing about Flow, and again, I have to throw a big shout-out to John Wolf at, at Onnit, John Wolfe is the chief fitness officer of Onnit. I interviewed him a number of episodes ago, and John is the one who really who first, you know, described flow to me. And from our conversation, I read Rise of Superman, and from that I read Stealing Fire, and then that got me down the path to uh to Mihai Csikszentmihalyi and his books and work and research on flow. And it's really interesting to see how this is coming together. As you heard me mention to to Jamie, Some of my recent guests, you know, researchers in the areas of exercise physiology, we've been talking about high-intensity training. We've been talking about movement. You know, Gary Gray and Gray Cook are movement experts. You know, and, and here's Jamie talking about using movement to hack into flow. Well, Gary, Gary Gray, has been teaching the movement matrix for 30 years. Movement matrix meaning we move in the sagittal, frontal, and transverse planes. You know, and Gary didn't realize, I mean, Gary will talk about the spirituality and how having a a better body will lead to a better spirit and a better mind, but that directly correlates with what Jamie and his partner, Stephen Kotler, are doing with the Flow Genome Project. You know, as I mentioned, you know, Marty Gabal is talking about high-intensity interval training. You know, high-intensity interval training is one way to achieve flow state, because if you're pushing yourself really hard, if you're training really hard, you're getting outside your comfort zone. Remember that one thing. Jamie said something very important that we just briefed over quickly. To achieve flow, we need to bend, not break. We need to push ourselves to the limit. We need to do more than we're capable of doing. We need to stretch ourselves a little bit. Bend, not break means doing more than you're capable of. Well, that's what fitness is all about, folks. Fitness is all about being comfortable, being uncomfortable. The only way we can make changes to our body is to work that in an intensity or level that's uncomfortable. You know, whether that's lifting heavier weight or if you're a weight trainer, maybe that's doing something different like yoga or Pilates. You know, I do some yoga from time to time. I need to do more of it because of how challenging it is to me. And I find that when I let myself go, you know, sometimes I try yoga and I'm like, oh, man, I'm so not flexible. I can't do this. I can't do that. Those classes are hard. But when I can let myself go and get into the movement of it and get into the flow, I mean, they talk about yoga flow, that's movement. It really does set up a whole different metaphysical thing. So the reason, one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by the work of the Flow Genome Project is I really do feel that in the next couple of years, that's going to merge more into the fitness industry. I'm really interested to see what the Flow, jo, Flow Dojo is going to look like. You know, once the Flow Dojo gets up and running, I'm going to definitely make a trip to get up there and maybe do one of those weeks with them to get more into that. You know, as I mentioned, you know, I I've been, you know, since reading these books, I've been doing a lot more mountain biking. And I found that the mornings I get out on a mountain bike or the mornings I I work out and push myself a little bit harder, I'm much more productive during the day. Yeah, I'm one of these people that will sometimes I'll work out in the evening. A lot of it depends on family schedules and all that stuff. But I found the, the days that I can get up and work out in the morning, I can be more productive throughout the day because I've pushed myself a little bit. I've gotten into that. Whether or not I'm in a flow state, it's hard to really quantify. But I've kind of already knocked one thing out for the day, and it helps me be more productive with the rest. So, if you're looking for little hacks, if you're looking for little things to do in your life, or if you're interested, and again, one of the reasons, one of the things that really fascinated me about the conversation is, you know, I sense some disdain from Jamie about the fitness industry. And and I agree with him 100% because for much of fitness, we're focused on appearance. We're focused on simple what we look in the mirror. And guys, that's bollocks. That's, you know, Jamie's British, so I'll use that term. You know, that's bollocks. That's garbage. Fitness is about achieving your optimal performance potential. Fitness is about feeling great. Fitness is about being productive. You know, that's what hacking into flow is going to allow you to do. You get to a whole different level of performance. You know, one of the reasons why I was so fascinated, You know, not Rise of Superman, but Stealing Fire, the latest book that, that Jamie did with Steven, what Stealing Fire starts out with is a look at the Burning Man experience. Why do so many people from Silicon Valley go to Burning Man? You heard Tate and Jamie talk about it unleashes creativity. I've never gone. I'm, I haven't been. I do want to go, but one of my friends from college has been, you know, he's been a longtime burner, a gentleman by the name of Halcyon. He'll be a future guest on here. But I've followed him over the years on social media and in his blogs, so I've seen his experience with Burning Man. I have a little bit of understanding of what it means. And what you're doing when you do that type of work, whether you're playing in a team, whether you're pushing yourself, is you're getting outside of yourself. If you're in an experience like a dance club or Burning Man where there's so many things going on, you're not focused on you. You're focused on the experience. If you're playing a team sport, if you're in flow with the other members of your team, you're not focused on what you're doing. You're focused on working together as a team. You're focused on working as one unit. I have no idea what it takes to be a special operator in the military. I have no idea. But from reading, you know, reading Stealing Fire, you get a better idea that what they're looking for are people who can get outside their sense of self. And become a member of the team. Because if you're in a military environment, especially a special operating environment, I can only imagine that your individual self doesn't matter. Your ego needs to go out the door. You need to be a part of that unit. And that unit needs to work as one individual or one system. You know, and they they, they talk about that. They they write about that in Stealing Fire. So the point is, I really think we're going to see a lot more. We're going to see much more about flow states. We're only starting to really tap into this potential. We really are. You know, we're just starting to get into it. So if you really want to look for that next wave of fitness, if you really want to start looking at fitness, get outside of what your physical being looks like and start looking at fitness as a potential to enhance your psyche, to release yourself from your physical self. Challenge yourself to do something different. Challenge yourself to do something hard. Pick up a hobby that's going to challenge you. You have this conversation. I need to go research Aikido. I've always wanted to take Aikido. And I need to get back to doing yoga because those are two things that are going to push me a little bit. Get outside of that comfort zone. You need to bend, not break, and fitness gives you the opportunity to do that. So, thanks for stopping in all about fitness today. If you have any questions, any comment, any feedback, or if you have any guest ideas for me, please shoot them to me: pete at petemacallfitness dot com. Again, my email is pete at petemacallfitness dot com. I put out. I do a lot of blogging for a couple of different organizations. I have my own blog at PeteMcCallFitness.com, but if you want to follow my blogs, follow what I'm doing, my social media Twitter is PeteMC underscore fitness, and my Instagram handle is Pete McCall underscore fitness. I'm going to have all the links to uh, Jamie and Stephen Kotler's works down below. The Links to the Flow Genome Project will definitely be below, and the links to the books they've written. You know, Stephen, uh, uh, Jamie and Stephen wrote Stealing Fire. And Stephen Kotler wrote Rise of Superman. And if you're really looking for a way to use exercise to give yourself a different experience, I really strongly recommend to check out what they're doing and the work that they're doing because it really will make a difference in your life and how you approach exercise. Thanks for stopping by All About Fitness, and I look forward to having you tune in to catch future episodes.